Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. All right, now I'm going to talk briefly about the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And keep in mind that all the money from these sponsors goes towards hiring outdoor journalism interns. This year, we've hired three interns and paid them $15 per hour. And over the course of this podcast, we've hired seven different interns, not only helping us report on Oregon's outdoors, but also teaching young college students journalistic skills that they can carry forward. Plus, it's a pretty fun internship anyway. They get to travel outdoors, report about the environment. It's a good gig, and these sponsors make it possible. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that before we get rolling. So this part you'll recognize. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that is focusing this summer on the best way to care for its forest, beaches, and waterways through a promotion that emphasizes cleaning up and leaving no trace. We'll dive into how they do that just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department invites Oregonians to explore parks this fall and winter to experience the beauty of those seasons. If you're camping, remember to get firewood from sources local to your destination to avoid bringing invasive insects, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at state parks, Oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we're taking a look at what kind of winter we're expecting in Oregon. Will we have mountain snow, lots of rain, flooding, or drought? We'll get into that next with Oregon State Climatologist. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, today we are joined for a second time by Oregon State climatologist Larry O'Neill. The last time Larry was on, we speculated from a distance about what might happen this winter due to the emergence of the El Nino weather pattern and the impact that that might have on the winter. But now that we're getting into the teeth of rainy season, I thought it would make sense to have him back to look at two pretty different ways this winter might shake out. So Larry, after that long intro, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me again. Okay, so as I mentioned, the last time we talked, it was about Oregon's climate pretty broadly, but there was also, we were looking at what we might get this winter. And there's been a lot of talk about the return of El Nino, what that might mean for skiing, for drought, for just water in general, this rainy season and winter. So can you start by reminding us, what is El Nino? What does it mean and how does it form? Yeah, so very um, in a very basic way, El Nino is just... Um, a change in the 
temperature of the ocean in the equatorial Pacific. So in the Pacific Ocean near the equator, um, it's usually there's a spot on the equator that's usually a little bit colder than all the other surrounding spots. But during an El Nino, that spot gets really warm. And it's due to a change in the wind patterns around the equatorial Pacific. And why, so why in the Pacific Northwest do we care about what happens at the equator? The reason is, is because this change in temperature actually um, causes a cascade of events that shifts our jet stream. Um, it changes its activity. It changes where storms come in the wintertime. And thinking more broadly in around the globe, it also changes um, patterns of drought, uh, wildfire risk. It increases flooding chances in certain places. So it really has a big impact on our hydrological cycle and the kind of the temperatures and things that we get during the wintertime, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay, and so the big question here is that we're pretty sure we're locked into an El Nino system, at least for for this winter. But you mentioned the other day that we're still unsure if it's going to be a strong or a very strong El Nino, which can make a big difference in terms of what we get. So can you parse out, first of all, am I, am I correct there? And second, can you kind of parse out the difference between just a strong or medium and a very strong El Nino? Yeah, so that's a great observation. So we are locked into uh, an El Nino of some strength. Uh, right now is probably characterized more as a strong El Nino. And so this is kind of, you know, the upper uh, 10 to 20% of all El Nino is in its strength. And the way we measure that strength is by the, the temperature anomalies that are in the Pacific Ocean. So when we say a strong or very strong El Nino, we're referring to how warm the ocean gets there. And the reason we care about exactly how warm it gets there is that there's a, a pretty big difference in our historical data records on what the impacts on the Pacific Northwest or the U.S. West will be. So during a strong or moderate uh, El Ninos, uh, the Pacific Northwest tends to be drier and warmer than normal. And this is based on, on you know about 13 to 15 events. There is some diversity among each individual El Nino, but if you look at the collection of it, it's tilted a little bit more towards warm and dry. Also, it impacts our snowpack, so we tend to get a little bit less snow. And that's not a complete truth for all the El Ninos, but it's a tendency for that. Okay. So, you know, you were just talking about, you know, a strong El Nino typically brings warmer and drier weather. So what if it gets ramped up and we have that very strong El Nino that you were talking about? What does that normally bring about? So a very strong El Nino is one where the, in which the, the temperatures in the Pacific Ocean are much, much warmer than normal, almost historically warm. And we've had three such events since 1950. And each of those three events have actually been, um, they've bucked the trend of what we typically expect for El Ninos. Those have been actually much, uh, all three of those have resulted in much higher amounts of precipitation than normal in Western Oregon and Western Washington and parts of uh you know, Northern Oregon too. So there's this this big gap in, in what we can expect um, based on historical conditions. A strong El Nino is usually, um, is actually uh, based on five uh, previous occurrences. Those have uh, all but one have been drier than normal. And then when you get to the very strong El Ninos, um, all three of those have been wetter than normal. Okay. Yeah. Well, is, I'm curious, is there a... Um... Is there like a number that you're looking at in the Pacific, like a, a temperature reading, you know, at those, um, you know, down on the equator? It's like, okay, if it gets over over X, 
then, you know, we're into very strong. If it's below Y, you know, we're in moderate or strong. Yeah. Yeah. There's a threshold for it. And these, um, the threshold for what we do is, is actually quite simple. It's just, they take a big uh, area average over a big part, a big box that's centered on the Eastern uh, Equatorial Pacific. So the box centered on the Pacific, and that kind of goes North and South by, you know, maybe five or eight degrees latitude. And um, so we just average the sea surface temperature in there. So that, um, and so the average temperature, there's a certain threshold that we use to define for uh, what we call a strong or very strong um, El Nino. And there's a certain um, length of time as well. And so for any of um, anyone who wants a little bit more, more information about that, we uh, use typically use what's called the Oceanic Nino Index. And so it's kind of a, you know, it's a number that's based off the surface temperature anomalies in the Pacific. And then if it's, um, you know, it's averaged over three month periods. And then um, if it's over a certain number for uh, certain consecutive months, then we would say, okay, that's a very strong um, El Nino or, you know, strong or something like that. Okay. Well, which way, I mean, which way is it trending right now? And, and I, this came up because we were talking about this current weather pattern that we're in, which is very rainy and, uh, you know, it's supposed to be rainy for a little bit longer. And we're speculating that maybe this was a sign. It was going to be a very strong El Nino just because of the amount of rain we were getting. I mean, is that, does that, do we have to see a few more systems like that to, to think that maybe we're there or, I mean, what's it looking like? Yeah. So the, the impacts on our weather uh, typically peak between December and February. So this weather isn't necessarily, um, at least based on historical conditions, isn't um, really an omen one way or the other. So, I mean, it's actually great that we're getting the rain that we are right now because it's very impactful for other reasons. But when we get to December, that's when we really um, start to, I think, uh, be on the clock, so to speak, on you know, what we can kind of expect out of this. Okay. So it isn't trending one way or the other at this point between, you know, just a, a strong and very strong. Yeah. I, it's going to be borderline. So <laughs> yeah, great. Right now, just from our temperature measurements right now, the, the index is in the strong El Nino category and um, yeah. And it's uh, some models are projecting that it will go into it and some aren't, but um, into the very strong category. Up until a couple of weeks ago, I did not think we were to get to the very strong category. And part of the reason for that is that this isn't uh, El Nino and La Nina are, are not just oceanic phenomenon. They're actually, it's coupled quite strongly with the surface winds in the Pacific Ocean. And so when you get um, this change in ocean temperature, it changes the winds, which actually reinforces that change in ocean temperature. And for uh, up until about a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, we weren't seeing the winds patterns change enough that to reinforce that. And so I was skeptical that it would get to the very strong category because the the feedback that happens between the ocean and atmosphere was not very strong. But within the last couple of weeks, we are now seeing the shift in the wind patterns and the and the sea level pressure patterns in the tropical Pacific that are will amplify this or could amplify this and make it stronger. Uh, I don't know for sure how much more it'll go, but um, it's definitely a distinct possibility. And I think the CPC or the Climate Prediction Center that um, is run by NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, they do predict a, like a 30% chance that'll go to the very strong category. 
at this point. We'll, we shall see if um, we start to see an, an enhanced um, warming of the Pacific there, whether, you know, because we, we don't need too much more to go at this point. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. On the Tillamook Coast, we've cared for our forest, farmlands, beaches, and waterways for generations. It's in our DNA, and we bet it's in yours too. While visiting, help us care for our coast. Place trash in garbage cans, pick up after your pet, stay on trails, respect private property, and follow beach fire rules, which means extinguishing fires with water while also checking local rules to avoid igniting wildfires. Tillamook Coast welcomes your visit, and we hope that you'll become a temporary local while here. A few ways to do that include pitching in on a beach cleanup or taking a guided kayak tour to hear about ways to protect bays and rivers. There are science hikes to take, nature preserves and marine reserves to explore, or you can visit a farm, a commercial fishing dock, or even stop by a fish hatchery. Find out about all these options and how to care for our coast at tillamookcoast.com slash caringforourcoast. Once again, it's tillamookcoast.com slash caringforourcoast. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air, and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. Okay. So, I mean, we're, we're baked into an El Nino pattern of some kind. It just sort of depends on how strong. The question is just going to be, historically, like, are we going to get a lot of rain or is it going to be fairly dry? So that's that's the primary difference between the two. Yeah, that that is. And um, in, in both categories, we're warmer than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and that, that is actually... Uh, more so than the precipitation, that is a more uh, robust outcome of being a uh, strong, uh, moderate, strong, or very strong El Nino is that we are warmer than normal. Okay. So, I mean, would that include, like, I think 2015 we talked about last time where you, it was mm-hmm. historically small amount of snow, but I, I think the rain was decent. I, you know, we remember like Hoodoo Ski Area getting like a lake uh, at the base of the mountain and, and stuff like that. So was that the uh, an example of a very strong that we, we could potentially see this year? That is something like that. And I don't, and I hate to, um, you know, dash anyone's hope of being able to go out skiing or anything like that, but that is a distinct possibility. So there have been other cases where, you know, we've been in a strong El Nino or something and we've had pretty good snowpack, you know, every year is a bit different. So we don't want to say anything with certainty, but uh, I think that is having a less um, robust snowpack this year is, I think, a more distinct outcome. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, because I mean, when I talked to some of the ski areas last year, and it was like, oh, you were you worried about El Nino? Some some said, well, normally, you know, a lot of times we get more snow on the front of of winter, which is good for us. That was especially places that are in higher in elevation, like Timberline um, and Meadows and Bachelor, and they they, they kind of feel. Uh, immune i think it was the it was the slightly lower the mid elevation places where we saw you know struggle um because it was just a little bit warmer um but i mean i mean is that a historical trend but that can also be wrong at the same time too yeah there could be a tendency for it but it's not an absolute you know it's not 100 percent. so you know it's a little bit of a um yeah i mean there's probabilities at play here so you know being an el nino will kind of you know well It'll, it'll kind of um, weight the dice a little bit more towards, uh, you know, a leaner snow year. Okay. Well, are there, like, what are some other implications beyond that? Because it does seem pretty, like, a, a pretty big deal. Like, if it's, if we have that very strong and it's and it's wet, I mean, yeah. that, that feels good for water storage, for wildlife, but also feels like a danger for flood, uh, for flooding. Whereas if we're in the moderate zone, you know, we might be dry, the drought might get exacerbated. But I don't know. It feels like there it, it could make a big difference between the two. Like like there's two fairly different outcomes of this winter. Yeah, that's right. And as far as flood risk goes, um, one of the things about El Ninos that are is, is we tend to get these more of these what are called atmospheric rivers. And, you know, they're just an atmospheric river is just a cold front or a, a storm system that comes through. And but it, it has, uh, you know, a. a a tap into moisture from the tropics. And so we tend to get more rain with those. And the thing about atmospheric rivers is that not only do we tend to get more rain, um, that's when we get a lot of our rain. So 30 to 50% of our rain tends to come in these atmospheric river events, you know, like what we're in the middle of right now, mm-hmm. but they also tend to be really warm. And so if we do have a snowpack um, up there, these atmospheric rivers can actually, you know, you get this big rain on snow event. And that's usually when you know, uh, Western Oregon, Western Washington, that's when we get some of our bigger um, flood events is from these rain on snow events. And so uh, we are at a little bit, you know, there's a little bit more risk, you know, even in the dry, the, you know, the warmest and driest of years, we still get some snow above, you know, at elevation, maybe, maybe it's above 6,000 feet, really, instead of down to 4,000 feet, but we do get some snow. And so these atmospheric river events can really melt out a lot of snow, especially when the ground is still frozen up there. So you melt, um, you get the rain on snow event, you get a lot of, you know, water melting. Um, it can't soak into the ground very well because the ground's frozen in a lot of places. And so it just goes running off into the rivers very quickly and uh, down in, into here. So there is a little bit more of a chance that, you know, something like this happens. Um, like I said, it's not, um, you know, it's not a huge trend one way or the other, but it is something to look out for. Yeah, as as we look forward here, I so thirty percent chance um, you'd say for the the very strong El Nino, yeah. um, and then and then seventy percent chance for just a strong and moderate um, El Nino. So, so oh wow, that's that's tricky because you can't you could definitely see it going one way, but you could also definitely see it the other, and it seems like it'll make a big difference. Like it like it feels like we could really use a wet winter, and if it's dry on top of a dry year that that it feels like that'll deepen the drought is that fair yeah that's absolutely correct um especially on the west side here so we're kind of in a you know being in a kind of a drought period and then you know we always start the water year we always get some rain we always get this little period of rain so even in like 2020 
2021, where we had kind of the hype of this drought cycle, you know, in the early November, late October, early November, we had some rain and, you know, you know, four inches in a week or something. And it really felt wet, you know, it was kind of like drizzly and, and stuff like that. It started to feel kind of like an Oregon winter. It was just that, you know, we had these longer dry spells and, and then when it did rain, it just didn't rain as much as we needed it to, um, or as much as average. And so that's going to be the thing going, um, you know, in the next few weeks going into December is to see whether this um, period of wet conditions continues, or if we, um, you know, you know, we get one of these six weeks, you know, six week periods of almost no rain like we have the last couple of years, which would be really devastating, but it would be kind of consistent with some of the moderate to strong El Nino years that we've had in the past. So yeah, so then, yeah, we have just really divergent outcomes that we can expect here. I wish I had more definitive information to bring about that, but you know. When do we start, when do, when do you, when we, we do we start figuring out like how it's going to shake out? You, you were saying like into December is kind of when we'll have a better feel for, for how it's going to go. Yeah. I would say Christmas. Hmm. Um, yeah. Christmas, I think we'll, we'll start to really, and it's not, um, that's not a set in stone, but if, you know, come Christmas time, if the temperatures in the Pacific warm a bit more and go into kind of that status. And then if we start to see, you know, these lineup of storms, you know, several atmospheric river events in a row or something. Um, yeah, that'll be the clue. All right. Well, I've been talking to Larry O'Neill, the Oregon State climatologist and a professor at Oregon State University. <laughs> Thanks again for taking the time, Larry. Anytime. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforests.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.